Welcome back to the Give Em Liam podcast on the Cover Podcast Network. A bit's happened over the weekend. I actually recorded this originally on a Friday night and for a couple of reasons didn't get it out on Saturday. And so I'm actually glad I did because it's given me some additional stuff to talk about in this podcast, but it's it's been a huge weekend and we've got a, we've got a bit to get through. But before we do any of that, got to thank the cover, cover.com.au, subscribe to the newsletter, click on some links, read some articles. There's plenty of stuff going on up there. There's NBA, there's NBA news, NBL news, NRL news, Super Rugby news. There's probably some other stuff on there that I haven't read yet. But make sure you get across there. Make sure you follow on social media too, particularly on Instagram. Instagram seems to be where the cover is most active. So make sure you're there. Follow them, like the stuff, share the stuff. There's videos. There's there. What I have to say is I really like the aesthetic. I like – I'm kind of a, a comic book guy, so I kind of like the theme. I like, I like the colors. I like the – Color halftone and all of that. So, you know, if you, if you if you like that pop culture kind of stuff, I think you'll like the aesthetic. I think you'll like the way it looks. So even if you don't read it, just have it on your feed. It looks nice. It looks pretty. We're going to be trying to sell the cover. Uh, thank you to Riverside, riverside.fm, for all your remote recording, podcasting, meeting, whatever, video meeting, whatever you need. They can do it. They do it better than most. I'm using it right now. All our other podcasts use it. So make sure if you want to start a podcast or you're looking for a solution for your business or whatever, (laughs) it's not free, I might add, but it's really, really good. Audio quality is excellent. Video quality is excellent. It It can record up to 4K. I've got a terrible camera. So unfortunately, you're getting me in in, in 4 not 4K, you're getting me in 720p. But one day I'll get a better camera and you'll be able to see you'll be able to see me much more clearly. But riverside.fm, if you get a chance, hit the link on our website, on the cover.com.au's website, because if you hit that link, you use that affiliate link and you pay and you buy some Riverside, we get a nice little kickback, and that's what keeps the website running. That's what allows us to do these podcasts. So do that. And without further ado, we'll get into it. A couple of things happened to me this week. Uh, one is a friend of mine put up a, a post from a few years ago. Uh, and I'll just read it to you because I think it's, I think it's really, really good. <laughs> and I, I've decided to build on it a little bit. Um, so the, my friend who put it up, Peter Playford, I've talked about him on the podcast before. He's a former, former Brumby and Waratah, I believe, uh, very talented footballer. But I, I knew him as a coach. He coached me at the Sydney Stars in 2015. He had a pretty big impact on me, probably more than he knows in 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 a short time. But he's someone whose re- opinion I ser- I certainly respect. And I think once you once you once I read this to you, you'll you'll have a similar view. So this is a this is a post sort of talking about some of the ways in which Rugby Australia can innovate, some of the things that can be done 
to broaden the reach of the game. And this post he actually put up, put up back in 2007. So Sorry, 2017. So it's five years old. Uh, and it says, As a recently retired player, coach, and administrator, and someone that has walked away from the game, I just wanted to give a small blueprint to what I think may work. Rugby is a game that is elevated more than any other code. So in the world of digital media and social and instant world of acceptance and the instant world of acceptance, I would set a KPI to ensure the top 20 contracted players got a minimum of 200,000 followers or exposure each week. Two, someone from rugby, a player, coach, administrator, volunteer, is on TV once a week, assuming national TV, national news, whatever. Someone from rugby, sorry, three, someone from the ARU or Super Rugby was on regional TV three times a week talking about game on, Super Rugby, or getting players to do pre-recorded interviews to promote the game. Four, Evolve what's happening on field. Get creative and change the way it's viewed. The key evidence for this is the BBL, the Big Bash League. Make the game an event. How we do this will will take courage, but it needs it. Five, stop thinking what happens on the field is the only reason people come to games. This is a big one because your crowd attendance will show it's you it's not. And I think in 2022 that is a particularly pertinent point. Six, live a little. Grow some courage and change the game. Yes, we are in a competitive environment, but we need to be innovative. Because if we don't, the game we love will be a memory. Aim up and elevate. Don't let people make rumours. Communicate the good, good, bad and the ugly. We deserve it. Change is needed. So that post came up on my feed and I read through it again and I remember... Well, I actually looked at it and I liked it back in 2017, commented again and said I really liked it again. Then, later in the week, (laughs) I'm getting up on my soapbox now, uh, I put up a post and it was was to congratulate another friend of mine, Christian Lilifano, on his 1,000th Super Rugby point or scoring his his 1,000th Super Rugby point and I want to make a special... Shout out to you, Christian, to be able to do that, you know, with your with your little little boy uh, running the tea for you and, and giving him a hug. That was pretty cool. I imagine, I imagine he'll remember that, and I'm sure you'll remember that for for the rest of your life. So, shouts to you, congratulations, thousand points is particularly, you know, for for anyone is a huge achievement, but particularly for you and all of the things that you've endured, all of the things that you've overcome. I think it's it's a real testament to, to who you are as, as a man. And I can honestly say that Christian is one of the best humans that I've come across in the world of rugby. You know, there's lots of good, there's lots of good humans. There's lots of great humans, but he's up there with one of the best, you know, he always had time for us at, at, in club land, spent a lot of time giving back to the, to the club, being around the club. You know, he, he, he really invested in that, but you know, and, and some of you might not know this, but he has a foundation that that he runs uh, jointly with with some people locally here in Canberra that that helps uh, Pacifica kids reach their goals, access to education, that sort of thing. So he is a very very good human and, and thoroughly deserved. But anyway, I put I put up a post congratulating him, which look to be fair, it did feature 
a video owned by Super Rugby. Uh, it's true. Definitely you guys owned it in terms of the broadcast rights and all of that. But they blocked it. So it went up. It was maybe up for about two minutes. Then I got a notification that said this content has been blocked because the owner of the content has put through a copyright infringement or, or whatever. I can't, I'm not going to go into my phone again and read the notification, but it just it just kind of annoyed me. And it annoyed me for the reasons, a lot of the reasons that Pete had just spoken about. So what I decided to do, because this is what I do when I get annoyed, is put together a small sort of infographic. I've I've gone with a pyramid. So for those of you watching on YouTube, you'll be able to you'll be able to see this. But for those I'll I'll make sure I describe this as, as well as I can for those not on YouTube. And so I've gone with a pyramid which sort of outlines, you know, the, I guess the pyramid, the, the rugby pyramid. And, you know, I guess which how big each section is. So, you know, you can see it there now, the rugby pyramid broken into four parts. And, and I appreciate this is an oversimplification of, of what the rugby pyramid is. But this is the sort of environment that, that rugby kind of operates in. And I'll, I'll sort of go through... I'll go through it. So if we go to the first part of the pyramid, the top, the pointy end, the little bit, that's high-performance rugby or high-performance. And underneath that, you know, that's our Wallaroos, that's our Wallabies, that's Super Rugby, Super W, World 7 Series, Uni 7 Series, and the Australian 7 setup. You know, there's also an Olympic component and there's the World Cups and all of that. But that's, I guess that's the, the overarching picture. That only represents about 150,000 people week to week. That includes TV, streaming, attendance. So 150,000 people week to week, it's not too bad. Let's say it's a million people across the season, but it's generally some iteration of, of the same group of people. Then if we go to the next bit, which is the community rugby arm, so that's your club rugby, you know, there's representation in, in every state. Club rugby, registered rugby players, coaches, administrators, teachers, volunteers, all of those people, all across the country, that represents about 300,000 people. So it's a significant chunk. And the interesting thing is, is these are the two areas that rugby traditionally has operated in, high performance and community rugby. And I think those involved in club land and community rugby land would probably say that there's not a huge involvement anymore, particularly at, at the Rugby Australia level for, 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 the, for the clubs. The, the clubs are kind of separate. You know, I know lots of, most of the state bodies now sit separate from the HPU uh, with their, the various um, franchises. So most franchises have, you know, for example, in Canberra, we have the Brumbies. That's the high-performance unit. And then sitting underneath that is community rugby, so ACT and Southern New South Wales Rugby connected sort of in in some of their pathways programs so you know the the super w the women's academy and all that kind of sits in community rugby but in terms of what community rugby is and what we what i would consider community rugby is that grassroots program it's club footy it's schools footy you know even some of the junior representation stuff that all sits in community rugby and that week to week we engage about three hundred thousand people you know so Again, you know, maybe 2 million people across the season, maybe 1.5 million people across the season, but 
some iteration of the same group of people. And so now we come to so you'll notice that's that's two that's two chunks of the pyramid. And week to week we're hitting, you know, less than half a million people. So not great. <laughs> not a great start. So then if we go to the communities, now I've spoken about this before, and what I mean by communities is the places in which these teams are located and the communities or areas in which the players, coaches, administrators, staff are situated. So if we just, and, and I appreciate this is a, this is a, that number, 15.3 million people is, is, is what that number is, is what those communities represent. I appreciate we're not going to hit every single person who lives in Sydney or Brisbane or whatever, but I'm just, I'm just trying to illustrate the huge chunk of the population living in these five capital cities being Canberra, Melbourne, Perth, Brisbane, and Sydney. That number, 15.3 million, doesn't represent any, any of the kids, any of the people living in regional New South Wales, the Central West, Far North Queensland, any of that. That just represents the number of people who currently live in Brisbane, Sydney, Canberra, Perth, or Melbourne. And that's a lot of people. And what I and I've spoken about this before that I don't think rugby generally or the players or the staff, coaches are active enough in their community. Sure, they're active enough in community rugby. And if we go back, you know, we're we're including them as part of the three hundred thousand people involved in community rugby. Yes, great, you're involved there but you're not involved with your communities. You're not involved with not-for-profits. You're not involved at your schools. You're not involved in, you know, local gardens and communal spaces. You're not involved in really anything that's going on in your community. So it's really difficult for people to identify with you or connect with you because the only time they see you is on the TV and that's if they turn it on or they go to a game. There has to be some kind of give and take. You know, if you want to engage those communities, you need to be doing more. Pick some charities. Get the guys on the radio. Get the guys on the TV. You know, get them involved in things that are non-traditional. And I appreciate it's a big job. I get it. I understand it's a massive job. But if the goal is, you know, eyes and, and we'll get to this in, the, in my last point, but if the goal is eyes on the game, just having it on free-to-air and, you know, having, having the game is not enough. We need to be doing more. There's more ways you can get involved in your community. And then the final part, which I think represents the biggest opportunity here, is the digital media part down the bottom, you know. So this is, this is what Pete's talking about with, you know, the two, 200,000 views for the top 20 contracted players and that sort of stuff. But this also includes, you know, bloggers, independent news sources, social media pages, podcasters. They're all, we're all around the world. And I, and I know, like, I know I've got to be in my bonnet because you block some of my content, Super Rugby. And this isn't, this isn't a, I'm not, so, this isn't a criticism. This is a, pl- a plea. Partner with us. We're all around the world. We've all got varying followings. We've all got various reaches. Partner with us. Let us use your content. Let us promote your game. 
work work with some of the some of the bloggers, some of the private news sources. Like I under I understand there's issues around your broadcast and you want to control the product, but that's part of the problem. Seed control. You get the broadcast. All that money's yours. But if you want people to see the game, engage. Engage in social media. Allow that your content, the content that you've made and you've produced, allow it to be propagated. Allow it to be taken and used and remixed and, and all of that because that is ultimately the power of social media. And then you add the layer on top again of bloggers, you know, private podcasters, private news sources, that's a, that's another, you know, I, I don't know what the quantifiable number is, but that's another huge opportunity to, to just get eyeballs on the game. And so, you know, then if we if we look at it, you know, that's, that's kind of the picture. High-performance rugby, community rugby, engaging the communities that we live in and then the digital media landscape. And I think... Really, we only sit currently in the t- in this area here, the high-performance rugby and the community rugby, and I would say we don't even do enough in community rugby. So we've got a lot of work to do, but none of it is insurmountable, in my view. <laughs> and I know, I know that, you know, I'm a little bit... I get down a little bit on the game and whatever, but... You know, when, when the average attendance at the moment is is 9,000 people, one, it doesn't look good for TV, but two, and I can only speak in the, in the Brumbies case, is home games cost the money. They don't make any money off home games, which, which, which is a problem. And, you know, then, then, then we start, you know, and I've seen it already, we're starting to talk about smaller stadiums, boutique stadiums, but those things cost money. So how are we going to pay for those things? And and I guess the other question I want to ask, does a new stadium really solve the issue? I don't think it does. You know, I've been to a I've been to a thousand rugby games, they're all the same. You boop your ticket, you walk in, you go and buy your hot dog or your pie and your warm beer and you sit down. There's there's really not much there's not much else happening. And I think that that can be solved by engaging with your community. There are, I'm sure there are people in your community who own restaurants, who own events companies, who are innovative thinkers. Engage with them. Ask them what they want. What would get those people to a game and build an experience around what the people in your communities want? Anyway, I, I'm done with my rant. <laughs> I just thought that it was it was timely, it was pertinent, you know, and, and one thing I do when I get annoyed is I, I I try and bring in all the facts and try and present it back to Super Rugby or present it back to someone uh, in the hope that they listen. So hopefully someone listens to this and, and maybe, you know, cuts a bit out of my YouTube video or takes one of the reels that I put up on Instagram and, and shares it and, and hopefully one day it'll get back to Super Rugby and they can give me a call and I'm I'm happy to be involved in the transformation of, of rugby. That's wishful thinking, isn't it? <laughs> All right, back to my favourite topic. The Brumbies might actually be the real deal. 
two weeks ago, knocked off, knocked off their first, their first uh, uh, New Zealand scalp, and I, and look, I think, I think, I was always not not skeptical, but you know, I felt that they were, I felt that they were the best team in Australia, and I think everyone would agree that. And then, you know, now they've come out, they've knocked off the Hurricanes. They've knocked off the Chiefs. They, you know, they've still got the they've still got the two tough ones now. Sorry, they've knocked off the Highlanders. They've still got the two tough ones now with the Crusaders and the Blues. They got them back to back, so they'll play the Crusaders Friday the thirteenth of May and the Blues the following week. But those two games are at home, and I think all of the pressure really is on the Blues. And the Crusaders in those games, because you know there's an expectation that 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 they will win. And I think, interestingly, the the gap between the Australian and New Zealand team seems to have closed. I, I'm not I'm not ready to say that an Australian team's going to win Super Rugby, <laughs> but I think I think the Brumbies. Could certainly do it, and I think the way the Waratahs are playing at the moment, I know they almost, they almost blew it against the against Moana Pacifica, but they turned around second half and and got the win. So I'll give them their props. I think the way the Waratahs are playing currently is very is very impressive. You know, a huge turnaround from a year ago, and I I don't think we can undervalue the impact that Darren Coleman has had on that team. And I think having Michael Hooper around has helped. You know, I just think, yeah, the 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 jump in performance one year to the next is huge. And, you know, I, I think you can really attribute that. You know, the, the players have had an, another year of development. But I think Darren Coleman has provided a really, really good environment and an environment where... Players feel like they can be successful. They seem confident, you know, to go out and make mistakes and, and you know, try things, back themselves, and it's starting to pay off. So, you know, I hate to, I hate giving the, <laughs> I hate giving the Waratahs props, but they, they deserve their props because they've, they've been really, really good. And I think, you know, I, I think they will push now for a top. I think they probably finish fifth, but I think they finish ahead of the Reds. The Reds seem to have stagnated a little bit. Um, and conversely, you know, Brad Thorne, we know, can be a bit of a prickly character. So, you know, maybe some of that influence and, and some of the challenges he's had this year with the leak out of Rugby Australia and, and some of the things he's been dealing with in the media are having an impact on his playing group. You know, particularly someone like, Taniela Tupo, you know, who I, who I still think's got a long way to go as a front rower, but, you know, he, there were rumblings that he was pretty unhappy, particularly early in the year. So, yeah, interesting. Anyway, but back to back to my favourite point, my favourite topic, I, I think the Brumbies are the real deal, and I think I think they will beat the Crusaders. But, you know, that, that Crusaders-Brumbies rivalry is, is enormous. It's... You know, I think that'll be a really difficult game. And then, you know, if if they beat the Crusaders, they lock in a home final. 
You know, who knows what then happens against the Blues? You know, I think you just roll the dice and and have a crack because, you know, that they will have they win this this week they they lock in second place. So that means you know the the Blues then they've got everything to play for. They they want that number one. I think the Brumbies would be pretty happy with second. You know, particularly given all of the media attention throughout the year has been oh you know that they're good, but you know we'll see what happens when the New Zealand teams come out. And I'm also not here saying that the new, you know, we're we're world beaters and and whatever. But you know, how good is it to to have a relatively competitive competition? Like, it, it's been really good to watch. It's becoming a much better product. Yeah, I just think, I just think we should enjoy it. Like, why do we have to have this Australian New Zealand thing? Oh, Australia should only have three teams. I just think. Let's enjoy what we have. There are clearly three teams in Australia who are competitive and two that aren't. And I think that's on us. I think that's on that's on Australian rugby to fix. And I think you could argue the same way with the Kiwis. They've got three that are competitive and two that are a bit are are below standard. I think the fact that right now the team in eighth, I think at the Highlanders have three wins and they're going to make the finals. I think they probably need to rethink that. I think it's weird. I mean, I guess it happens in the NBA, but I think it's weird when you have more than half the teams make finals. There's 12 teams, eight final spots. I don't know. Does Does it devalue the product a little bit or the achievement of making the finals? I guess the top seven at the moment, all have more wins than losses. But then there's a big drop from seven to eight. I don't know. Maybe six is the number. Half. I think half's okay. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear what you guys think on that because that's a, yeah. I just feel feel like the first round of finals is kind of a nothing round because of the drop-off. You know, maybe if we get further down the track and, you know, teams are all really competitive, you know, games are really close and really exciting and all of that, and, you know, an eight seed could potentially could potentially knock off a one seed or, you know, I don't know exactly how the finals is going to work. But, you know, maybe that, maybe, you know, in three or four years' time we think about doing that. I don't know. I just, yeah. I just don't think the, that first week of finals is going to be all that exciting. I think it would be exciting if we had the old school like top four, 1v4, 2v3, or 1v2, you know, major minor thing. I think that would be more exciting. You know, the the loser of the 1v2 gets a second crack against the winner of the 3v4. Maybe, you know, maybe that. I think that, in my view, would be more exciting. But I also get that you need to flesh out the finals for the for the possible broadcast money, I guess. Speaking of which, July is quickly approaching, which means England are on their way. And I think if you've watched any of what's happening up north in terms of their domestic rugby product, I think we should be a little bit worried. I know England underperformed in the Six Nations, but I don't think... 
I don't think I'd be wrong in saying that France might be the best team in the world at the moment. Oh, I can hear all the Kiwis just screaming at me through their through their radios. <laughs> but based on what I've seen, I think they might be the best team in the world. And then I think Ireland are also in that discussion. You know, we haven't we haven't seen we obviously haven't seen the All Blacks this season, but just given what's happened domestically, come back to the pack a little bit, the the New Zealand Super Rugby franchises, and just given how dominant France were and how dominant Ireland were against everyone but France, you know, I think, I think the Southern Hemisphere should be a little bit worried going into this next World Cup because I think the French are going to make some noise. Home World Cup, they got a well. I, I think they got the best halfback in the world. You know, there's a few other players who I think are certainly in the in the discussion, but I think they might be the best team in the world at the moment. And I think that the this the discussion probably has to be France, Ireland, and New Zealand as the as the top three. You know, maybe they're one A, B, and C. Anyway, so I don't think we can discount England because I think two of the top three teams in the world are currently playing in the Six Nations. And I know there's a lot of chat about Eddie Jones and the players are sick of him and yada, 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 but I still think, given their domestic product and given the calibre of player that they are currently producing all across the paddock, I don't think we can count them out. And then I think the other crucial thing... It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. You know, is the Reg 9 stuff with Quaid Cooper, Samu Karevi, you know, McMahon, Rory Arnold, Tolulatu, you know, all of those guys who are who are playing overseas. Now, Reg 9 means that they that their clubs have to release them. That's fine. But the media circus around that might be challenging for the Wallabies to handle, coaches to handle, players to handle. You know, we saw how it played out last year during the spring tour when Samu Karevi and Quade Cooper both <laughs> both didn't go on the spring tour. You know, they played the, the game in Japan and then stayed there. And I think, you know, that 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 really highlights not necessarily the motivation, but the where the clubs are at in terms of wanting to protect their asset. But having said that, in July, they have to release them. So if, you know, if Dave Rennie picks up the phone and calls one of the guys based overseas and says, I want you in the Wallaby squad, he doesn't have to accept, but if he does, the club has to release him. So that's one of the other things that I don't know if people understand. If you're on a Super Rugby contract, Australian Super Rugby contract, and you get picked for the Wallabies, then you have an obligation to fulfill that selection and play for the Wallabies. Uh, just ask Tyrell Lomax what happens when you when you uh, decline. <laughs> Sorry, T. <laughs> um, you 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 can read between the lines there. Um, and there, but if you're playing overseas, uh, it. it you do you 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 have right you have right of refusal effectively because 
the national body can't really do anything about you not wanting to play for the Wallabies because you're on a French rugby contract or a, or a contract with with an English rugby contract or whatever. No, it's not even an English rugby contract with a club overseas. So there's nothing. Rugby Australia has no leverage is what I'm trying to say, and, and the clubs over there do. Because I know this happens. Clubs offer players more money if they don't make themselves eligible for their national teams. And, and I think in the case of some of the players who are currently playing in Japan and, and throughout Europe, they signed those contracts pre the new Guido Law revision, which I think is 35 tests or 30 tests. I can't remember exactly. So I think there's going to be, at least for the next couple of years, there's going to be a little bit of argy give and take, and it's probably going to be pretty disruptive for the Wallaby side. Now, having said all of that, I think there's a lot, a lot to be excited about. I think for the first time in a long time, I think we have a really solid back row. You know, Samu, Valentini, Hooper, Wilson, McWright, like Scott Young. Like we have all of these really, really, really good back rowers. You know, some are, you know, some are verging on world class. Like I think Rob Valentini, what he's been doing with the Brumbies, my word. He's been impressive. And you pair him with someone like Hooper, who, you know, has become the talisman for, for Australian rugby. I, I'm happy to say I was a huge, huge Hooper detractor, particularly earlier earlier on in his career. But, you know, something has happened. He's grown up, whatever. His game's matured, whatever. I think he's really, really important. But then, you know, to have someone like McWright as well, like... It just, yeah, it just makes it, it, it makes me smile, <laughs> you know. And then you've got someone like Samu, who can cover six and eight, you know. The, Caleb Timu, like, there's just we've got plenty, plenty of back rowers who I think. So I think Dave Rennie's going to have a tough time picking his back row, but I think I think the guys I just mentioned, I think some some iteration of. And I'll I'll make I'll name four guys. So some iteration of Valentini, Samu, Wilson, and Hooper, I think is how it it, it probably gets made up. Um, and you know, three of those four guys are interchangeable in terms of being able to play number six and number eight, which is pretty exciting. I think the other thing that's exciting is what's happening in the halves. You know, Jake Gordon seems to have lifted again. Tate McDermott's playing good footy. We've obviously got Nick White, but then the Lonigan guy is really good. Ryan Lonigan out of the Brumbies too. You know, he's he's had some wins. He's had some runs on the board, doing some good things. I actually think his pass is better than White's. It's an objective front rower's opinion. <laughs> objective. Yeah, I mean, I played with Ryan, so that that's probably why I think that. But... Then we look at, you know, the, the fly half situation. So, you know, there's obviously Matt Tamua who can play there, but I think his position is in the 12 jersey. Noel Alessio, Rajan Pesitoa over at the force. And I know Tim Horan anointed him early in the year. And Tim, you've got to be careful with that, my man. You know, I know you're excited about him, but just be careful with anointing him. But I, I think he is very good. I think he's a very good player, and I think he, he will become a very good player given some more time. 
Tane Edmund has he's shown some stuff. Like I think I think he could be good. And then we obviously have James O'Connor as well. And then Quade Cooper is the sort of sleeping, looming, looming shadow from from over in Japan. You know, so that's really exciting. There are some positions of concern. I think Hooker is still a worry. You know, there's no one that I think who's really separated themselves, and a lot of it comes down to the throw. You know, I think uh, Lachlan Lonigan, the other the other Lonigan boy, uh, I think his throw is really good. But where he where where he is going to face challenges is with his with his size at the next level. You know, can can he sort of be the middleman in a in a scrum? At the next level, at his size, you know, he's a little bit smaller than 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 the prototypical prototypical uh, hooker. You know, Felidi Kaitu can't really throw consistently. You know, Dave Parecki is probably is probably been the form hooker with the Waratahs, but even his throws a bit shaky. You know, Jordan Ulessi can't hit the backside of a barn, so I think we just need to move on from him. So yeah, Alex Murphy's a bit the same up up in Queensland. It's a bit, it's a bit, it is a concern, and that's why I can see why you know you, you might want to bring someone like Tolu Latu back, but Tolu Latu brings with him a lot of the the some challenges, some challenges um, off field uh, in the past. So you know, I you know I, I yeah I don't want to make any any assumptions about that, but that yeah, you know. Could he be a distraction potentially? So do you take the risk or do you try and develop someone we have here? I, I don't know what the answer to that question is, but I also don't know who's really the form hooker in Australia. You know, even Falau Fianga has really been seated, superseded by Lonigan, And then, you know, even the, the guy I like is Billy Pollard. I really like Billy Pollard. He just hasn't, he, he, uh, he, I mean, I think he's nineteen or twenty, so he's still got a bit, bit of time that he needs to really develop his, his craft. But go, go and have a look at some of his highlights. He, he's an impressive footballer. He, he can scrummage. His lineout throw is not bad, but what he gives you around the, around the park is, you know, Dane Coles esque. <laughs> oh, look at me, yeah, comparing him to Dane Coles. Wow, but. You know, I think he's that. He, I guess that kind of athlete. He's not. He's not as big as Dane. He's he's probably not as natural as Dane, but he certainly gives you gives you a lot of a lot of all of what you want and more uh, in terms of the athleticism of a hooker. So, you know, that's that's a position of concern for me. I think fullback is probably another one. You know, Pattaya. I mean, talked about Tom Banks. You know, everyone every year we kind of say, yes, this is his year. He's going to do his thing. And it doesn't quite happen, and I think we're we're seeing that again. So, but you know, I I think I'm really excited for the first time in a long time. I think we've got depth, we've got options. You know, Lenny Katawi, Ray Simone, and and I guess it, it you know it comes back to what Rennie wants to do in terms of some of that cohesion stuff that that Ben Darwin talks about. If you haven't heard about cohesion and and some of the calculations that Ben Darwin's making, go check it out. It's it's very it's very impressive and sort of talks about, you know, cohesion, guys playing lots of football together, the benefits of picking a 9-10 combo and a 10-12 combo and 12-13 combo, 
you know, or a back line who've played lots of football together. And, you know, we've seen that across a lot of sports. You know, you could probably say that, that over the years, you know, with some of the origin origin stuff, particularly Queensland origin, you know, there are guys that may not necessarily have been the best player at that position. You know, Justin Hodges is maybe a good example, but, you know, within the structure, within that environment, within that back line was really, really impressive, you know, for that for that cohesion thing, you know. So, yeah, but I, look, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too far into selections. That'll happen in a couple of weeks' time, just by the way. But I'm very excited, but I don't think we should count out what England are going to bring out over here because I think they've got a point to prove after, you know, by their standards, a pretty disappointing Six Nations. Oh, man. This is this is the one I want I I want to talk about. Liz Cambridge, get in the bin. <laughs> so I've I guess I've known about what happened with Liz for a while. For some of the previous work that I did, you obviously heard you know you heard uh, stories and you heard from people who are involved and. Most of the stories were pretty the same, pretty much the same. But for those of you who don't know, last year in the lead up to the Olympics, the Opals, Australian Opals, Australian women's basketball team, had a camp in Las Vegas, which is where Liz Cambridge was living at the time, and they played a game, you know, a prep game, which is why I love basketball because you can just play games all the time. Game intensity, really hard to replicate that in rugby. But they were playing a warm up game against Nigeria and Liz had and I look I imagine the Nigerian players were just getting a bit physical with her trying to ruffle her feathers a bit trying to get under her skin something happened she turned around and said go back to your third world country then a brawl ensued and not long after that happened Liz pulled out of the Olympics citing mental health issues And look, when some when someone cites mental health issues, and I have talked about this before, they are to be taken seriously. But this is an example where someone has just taken the piss, done the wrong thing, and is completely unwilling to re- accept any responsibility for what they've done. And now you've got Andrew Bogan and Andrew Gaze, who I think are fairly reputable sources, saying that that's actually the PG version of what happened. And, you, you know, in all of this, Liz has played the victim. You know, a, a, couple of, a couple of days ago in a Sparks uniform, you know, sitting with her hand up above her head like this in a real relaxed position, she was more than happy to say, oh, I didn't feel supported by the Opals. You know, I, my heart is with people who want to see me do the best that I can and want me to, want me to be the best that I can be and want to support me. But then why like, – <laughs> like you can see I'm confused. So you're saying you didn't feel supported. You're happy to throw th- – take shots at the Opals, take shots at Basketball Australia. And I'm not saying that organization's perfect. 
I've got my issues with Basketball Australia and the WNBL too. But I'm happy to be held accountable for what I say and do. No? Like, so you you, you caused the problem. And, it, you know, the other ironic thing is Ezi Magbubor is a Nigerian migrant to Australia and is now playing for Australia. If I'm not wrong, Liz, you're Nigerian as well. And regardless, like, I get it. I get it, right? Like, in the heat of battle, sometimes you say something you shouldn't and you, or you do something you shouldn't. But the problem I have is the complete, one, complete lack of remorse to not wanting to be held accountable and three, just happy, happy to play the victim. Happy to pull the mental health card because you you felt no one would question you, whatever. So this all comes out. Then then she goes on Twitter and says, Oh, you know, more will come to light, but isn't isn't willing to provide that light. So here's what I'll say. Here's what I want. Whoever's got that footage, I'm sure there's footage because basketball coaches film everything. Whether BA has it, whether Nigeria basketball has it. I'm pretty sure Team USA was in that camp too. Just release that shit. Let's get it done. Because drama seems to follow Liz Cambridge and I think we're all tired of it. And, you know, you look at the Las Vegas Aces. They play better without her. Good basketball, a bad person. There, I said it. I might get in trouble for that one. But I, but look, I think it's I think it's I think it's really important now for Liz to be held accountable because she seems to just do and say whatever she wants. Then she goes on TV and cries and says she's having a hard time with her mental health and and everyone everyone forgives her. Like I said, mental health should be taken really seriously. But Liz doing what she does, exploiting it is part of the reason why it's it's not taken seriously a lot of the time because it's seen because people like her exploit it. And, you know, a coach will have an instance where a player exploits it and that's the view that they take on that issue from, from there on. So anyone who cites mental health issues, I will just push through it. And I'm not saying that's the right approach to take and I'm not excusing that approach. I'm just saying that's what happens. You have a bad experience... And you carry that with you. So, Liz, firstly, maybe just apologize. Hold yourself accountable. Have some respect. Do the right thing. So frustrating. (laughs) Release the footage. Whoever's got it, release it. That's all that's all I'm going to say on that. The other thing that happened this week which I fucking enjoyed is Draymond Green getting ejected after, you know, it was a it was a hard foul. Did he deserve to get ejected? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> His response was to flip off the crowd, dance around, flip off the crowd, head straight down 
straight down to the locker room, get changed, head home and record a podcast and talk about it. And then all the media members turned on him and said, oh, we can't do that. You know, that's disrespectful. That's that. How's it disrespectful? He's just doing what you do. What, are you upset because you didn't get to ask him about it? Shut up. <laughs> and I like I respect I have a huge amount of respect for Draymond as a as a player. I think he's hugely important to that Golden State Warriors team. But I have a lot of respect for him as a broadcaster. Someone who just gets up to the mic and just goes for an hour. It's really impressive. It's super impressive, and it's super hard. It's super hard to just sit in front of a mic and go and go and go. And, it, like, I was so excited when I saw the, the notification, you know, a couple of hours after the game that Draymond had recorded his podcast. I was like, yes, he's going to go in. And which he did, but he was respectful. And I, I truly think this is where, this is where media is going, right? The future of media is maybe we don't need the media. Caption that, soundbite that. But seriously, you think about it, right? Most athletes now have some kind of following, you know, some kind of platform. And, and you know, this, is, this has been happening for a long time. You know, Gilbert Arenas used to have his Agent Zero blog with NBA.com. I remember reading those as a kid and thinking those were super cool. You know, there was one that in particular that stuck with me where he talked about you know, trying to come back from an injury. He'd had a really good week at practice and the trainer said, yes, we'll make it, we'll make a game time decision. And so he, he let, you know, on on game day went, left his house, went in for shoot around, was so confident that, you know, he was going to pass his physical. He didn't bring his game day suit because he was like, I don't need my suit. I'm here. I'm doing shoot around. I'm going to do my shoot around, pass my physical. I'm going to play. And then the trainer was that he didn't pass, he didn't get through the physical, he didn't get through the warm up. And he talked about having to shower, go home to get his suit. So driving home to get his suit and then driving back and, you know, having to sit on the bench. And there was a part in there where he talked about, you know, thinking about, well, what, you know, would life be easier if I just. You know, slammed this car into the wall and ended it. You know that, so that I guess that stuck with me, and that, to me that was, and and I think that's why Shouts Gilbert Arenas, Agent Zero is doing doing so well in podcast land and media land is because he was getting those reps while he was a player. You know, he was writing while he was a player. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is is this has been happening for a while. It's been a slow build to this. So most players now have a platform, whether that's their social media, whether that's a website whether that's a media company they're involved in or invested in, uh, you know, whatever it is, they have a platform. So, and most of those platforms, most of the things that they do on social media or, you know, on their podcast, on their their website, they get picked up by national news, national media, and if not generally often, maybe not generally, but often will get picked up, you know, by some form of media, whether it's regional, local, whatever, national, whatever. So the question is now you have that platform. The things you say and do get picked up by the media anyway. 
do we really need do you really need to sit there at a post match press conference and answer questions when you could just go home and do it right on your blog write it on your you know tweet like tweet from from the locker room what you think or go record a podcast like Draymond did share your thoughts share your views and then everyone on ESPN on Sports Center will talk about it for a week I mean I'm talking about it <laughs> I know you made that podcast for me no but this is what I'm saying I think the future of media is less you know less formal than it used to be like Formal might not be the right word, but, you know, I think the days of reporters standing around, you know, locker rooms yelling questions at players or sitting in rooms, you know, doing press conferences and stuff, I think those days are numbered. And I think I think now, as a media member, relationships are more important than ever. Because, purely because players have their own platforms, they actually don't, necessarily need you to benefit the sport or to benefit their own brand or to benefit their narrative. They can go and take that, take their views, take hold of the narrative and share it themselves. So I think that, you know, the next 10 years of, of broadcast journalism and journalism and in general is going to be really interesting as more and more players start to see the value in investing in their own platforms, you know, having their own podcast. You know, Artie Sevilla has a podcast. And doing doing things on their own, you know, two of us are Sheck, you know, he's he is a he is a I would say a social media influencer. I'd say there are more people that follow him for his social media influence than his rugby prowess. So I think this is where media is headed. And I think you know, the media members who got upset about it, you know, I can see why you're upset. I can see, you know, oh, I didn't get to ask Draymond a question, whatever. Just go on to his podcast. It's out there. He told you exactly what he thought. And I think in a way it's more, it's more real. It's unfiltered. It's uncensored. He can just say what he wants and we move on. I think it's really hard you know, when you're sitting at a table and you've got mics in front of you and you've got your coach on your right and you've got another player on the left and your PR person is is down there giving you a death stare because they know the hard question is coming. I think it's really hard to give a real answer. And, I, you know, you see this with the Australian cricket team. They're so rehearsed. So let's just, let's just lean in. Give them a platform. So as media members, you know, Allow them to come on your show and talk their shit. Or give them their own show as part of your network. You know, give them some ownership of that. I see, I see that as the way, you know, mainstream media, big media benefits from this new world. Let's just get on board. Because I, I truly think the days of the, the press conference and the locker room interviews and that sort of thing are numbered. And I think there's going to be more informal, you know, players voicing their opinions via podcasts, you know, via, maybe it's TikTok, maybe TikTok videos, you know, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. I think they're going to do a lot of that themselves now. And the way that, you know, we stay relevant as as media networks and things is to invite them in, open open up the tent, let them do their thing. 
And I think it's really awesome, like getting your reps as a player. You know, you want to go into media, start a podcast. Start writing. Start re- start recording yourself commentating while you're watching you're watching games. Because that's ha- that's how you're going to get the reps. And then when, you know, when you finish, it's an easy it's an easy transition for you because you've been doing it. You've been doing it for the last 10 years of your, of your career. You're used to talking into a camera. You're used to talking into a mic. You're used to tapping those keyboards. Used to coming in with some hot and spicy takes. And you've got you've got the relationships with those in your sport and potentially in other sports as well. So you become a trusted member. So that's how we as mainstream media benefit. So let's just get on board. I like how I'm calling myself mainstream media. I'm not mainstream. I'm just saying, don't get upset, get on board. <laughs> I think that's it for this week. Done a lot of talking tonight. I hope you enjoyed this one. I promise I've got some guests. I promise they're coming. They are coming. I promise they're coming back. Soon, soon, soon. Just, it's been a, it's been a rough couple of weeks. So, there'll be some guests. Be some interesting stories. Plenty of stuff in the works. But before I go, thank you to thecover.com.au. Make sure you get there. Make sure you check out the Fifth and Dribble podcast, the Daily Dribble podcast. Make sure you check out Tobias Canning's NRL column. Make sure you subscribe to the newsletter because that's the main communications channel for everything that we do here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope that you'll continue to listen even though I haven't got any guests. I haven't had any guests the last couple of weeks. Lydia Williams is coming back in a couple of weeks' time, so I'm going to put out on my Instagram, ask her some questions. We'll do a mailbag episode with Lydia. For another week, I'm Liam. This is the Give Em Liam podcast on the Cover Podcast Network, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>